and welcome to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things collection development, reader's advisory, and reference right into your ears. I'm Booklist's own Susan McGuire, here to guide you through the muddy and gratifying waters of library land. First, let's check in. How are you all doing? I'm doing, you know, fine. We're all fine. I think I'm starting to get out of that reading slump that plagued, say, the first 10 months of this quarantine. Not that I can ever actually have too much of a slump. I mean, I'm not trying to complain about my job. I would never complain about my job. But a big part of it is, in fact, reading for a living. But I'm starting to feel like I can connect to what I'm reading beyond my professional responsibilities. Part of it is the selection. Part of it is, you know, like what I'm reading. I zoomed way through Reunion Beach, which is a tribute in stories to the late Dorothea Benton Frank by some of the biggest stars in women's fiction. Then I was totally swept up in It Had to Be You by Georgia Clark, which is a Nora Ephron-esque ensemble comedy about the romantic foibles of various folks in a wedding planning business. It's so very cute. It's so very New York. And now I'm taking a total left turn with The Cult of We by Elliot Brown, about the charismatic CEO behind WeWork and the generally bizarro made-up world of startup valuation. I mean, I'm a sucker for scam-adjacent delusions of grandeur. So what got me out of my slump? Partly getting my first dose of the COVID vaccine, hooray, which makes me feel like, while the end is not necessarily nigh, there is an end to this pandemic and it will happen eventually. That and being able to mix up what I'm reading, which is something we suggest to patrons a lot. But the switching up is not completely random. Character-driven stories are absolutely my catnip. And even though the delivery mechanism is wildly different, Reunion Beach, It Had to Be You, and The Cult of We are all driven less by what happens in the book and more by the people it happens to. Like I said, it's my catnip. It's been a good reminder of the power of appeal and how leaning into appeal rather than genre or subject can help refocus on the good parts of reading and how we can all really be our own best reader's advisors. It's magic, y'all. Also magic is this episode of Shelf Care the Podcast. I speak to a collection development librarian about what people are borrowing during these COVID times. We talk about circ stats. It's pretty nerdy, but pretty fun. Heather Booth gives us the five essentials of selecting business on audio. And then finally, Donna Seaman and I have a little kiki vis-a-vis what she's reading and why she misses seeing my face every day in the office. JK, she didn't say that last part, but I think it's in the subtext. Here we go. Professional development is super important for library staff, but finding the time and the funds is real tricky. Booklist webinars are a great way to squeeze some continuing education into your busy schedule. Each free one-hour webinar covers something staff can take right into their work. Like what? How's about picture books, or sci-fi and fantasy books, or craft books, or book group picks, or library management, or library reads? So many topics covered each in one convenient hour. Register to watch the webinar live, or to be notified when the video is up in the archives. All free. All just one hour. Perfect for those days when you only have enough time off the service desk to eat a sad sandwich in your office. Find upcoming webinars and archives at booklistonline.com webinars. Karen Tunin is the Collection Services Manager at the Naperville Public Library in Illinois. 
Like a lot of libraries, Naperville experienced an explosion in demand for ebooks when the lockdown started. Karen and I talk about how usage changed during the early days of the pandemic. Spoiler alert, it really increased. And we touched on what kind of books people are looking for, different borrowing models, displays, weeding, and Bridgerton. Honestly, when are we not talking about Bridgerton? Enjoy! I'm talking to Karen Tunin from the Naperville Library, and we are, as promised, going to talk about ebooks. So, Karen, I think everybody listening to this podcast, which are mostly library people, noticed a big uptick in ebook usage last spring, 2020. Can you talk a little bit about what you saw in Naperville? So, in Naperville, we closed our doors to the public on March 15th. Okay. And We also stopped receiving shipments of physical materials at the same time, but obviously we kept an eye on the digital materials. Mm -hmm. And what we were seeing is that we were getting so much higher holds and also requests for titles where the meters had expired that we were quickly going to absorb a lot of our budget that way. Now we order our physical materials like six months out. So we were immediately trying to juggle how we were going to receive the stuff we had already ordered, but still make room to buy the new digital materials. So for example, in just April of 2020, we had as many ebook circulations as we had ebook and e-audio circulations total in overdrive from 2019. So we had a huge spike in ebook usage just in that very first month. And for folks who maybe aren't ebook purchasers in their library. Can you talk about what metered means and why that's a difficulty for patrons? <laughs> so in Overdrive's model, when we buy an ebook or an audiobook now, we're actually buying a license to provide content. Mm-hmm. For a long time, the audiobooks, all of the audiobooks and most of the ebooks were what is called one copy, one user license, which means it worked just like a physical book. We would buy one and only one person could have it at one time. And we got to keep it in perpetuity. But as over time, the models were changing, particularly for ebooks. So some books, we now have them for 52 checkouts and then it disappears and we have to rebuy it. Some of them we have for 12 months and it disappears and we have to rebuy it. Some of them, it's the shorter of 52 checkouts or 24 months. So there's a lot of different licensing models for each different vendor. Yeah. And if people remember back in March of 2020, Macmillan was still embargoing all of their books when COVID hit. So when COVID hit, we were only allowed to buy one copy of any of their book for the first six months of its release. So fortunately, they removed that restriction very early on. But the unintended side effect of that was we immediately had a whole bunch of books that had really high holds on them that now we could fill, which is great, but we needed to be sure that we had the money to be able to fill those holds. I remember when I was working in a library when Overdrive kind of started before there was even Libby. And I remember it was 26 checkouts per book. And the idea that you would get rid of a book after only 26 checkouts (laughs) was such a, a joke to anyone who worked with a fiction collection that we were like, we need more checkouts. So I'm glad you all get twice as many checkouts now before you have to replace book. 
So a lot of them, it's either 52 or 26. So if Mm -hmm. we buy the 26, it's half the price, Okay, which actually really helps us meet the high holds. So when the demand is really high, we buy a whole bunch of the copies with the smaller meters on them because they're usually half the cost of the ones with the higher meters, which means we can then turn over the holds faster. Right. And then when the holds kind of slow down, it doesn't matter that that copy is run out. Right, exactly. Another interesting thing that happened during the pandemic is basically recorded books and RB Digital went away. Mm-hmm. And it also impacted Overdrive because when Overdrive bought recorded books as catalog, they introduced a whole new licensing model where now we can buy a hundred uses on the title for concurrent users. Oh. So a hundred one hundred people can check out the book all at the same time. And it's a very low cost. So it tends to be the older titles, but it really has helped us for like the Bridgerton series. So the Duke and I, we have gone through 200 of those already. Outlander was on there and we're about ready to buy our second copy of it. But we've also got a lot of the books that high schoolers need, like Fahrenheit 451, Handmaid's Tale, Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Mm -hmm. So those books where everybody needs it all at once, we can now buy a whole bulk mass number of checkouts and let people use them all simultaneously. I think a lot of people started, well, maybe not started the pandemic, but created like reading projects for themselves. So I'm sure you had a lot of civilians looking for like more classic books while also the students were looking for them. So that's pretty useful, I imagine. Yeah. And we in Naperville started having overdrive back in 2005. So we've had it for a very long time. You're old school. Right. So the people in our community really know about Overdrive and they head for it first. Mm -hmm. We also do have Hoopla, which we added in 2015, but it has an entirely different licensing model, Yeah, which really confuses customers because they do not understand the difference between the two. And then they also don't understand why they can buy something off of Amazon, but we can't. So we had a lot of emails, conversations to answer that. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I I feel like that's a big conversation people have at the public service desk, but I bet you get that via email a lot. So do you have like canned answers for that? Or you're just sort of like, let me walk you through it. We pretty much walk people through it. We usually those interactions were happening at the public service desk, but with the buildings closed, it was more the collection development librarians who were getting the emails and trying to help people understand what was going on. And I wonder if you know if you got a lot of new users too. I mean, I know Naperville's a really active library community, so maybe you didn't have too many pockets where you weren't reaching people. But uh, I just know every so often a tweet would go viral on Twitter that was like, I just discovered you can get a library card and check out ebooks. And it's like, yes. We know. <laughs> I think every library has that problem. It um, doesn't matter how good we think our penetration is. As soon as something like this happens, yes, we got tons of new users, both for Overdrive, Hoopla, and our other digital platforms. The thing I found interesting is initially in the pandemic, we were tracking week to week what we were seeing for new users, circulations, and then expenditures. And what we were seeing was that the new users were tracking the ebooks. So the audiobooks, they were increasing just a little bit, but not the huge spike of the ebook. So I think what happened is we had gotten a lot of our audiobook people already changed over to using digital because it's just so much more convenient. Yeah. 
But those ebook people suddenly realized, hey, we can use the library. Plus, people had more time to read. We saw a huge spike, like I said, in the ebook. The other thing that really surprised us is we saw a massive increase in the number of juvenile ebooks being checked out. Yeah. From April of 2019 to April of 2020, juvenile fiction increased 239% in overdrive. So I think part of that is homeschooling, parents pulling back on the screen time restriction because they couldn't get as many print books and they still wanted their kids to have books. But for April, May, and June, while our building was still closed, we were seeing a 200% increase in just Jew fiction for eBooks. Yeah. It was huge. Now, a lot of those people, I can tell that we kept even after we reopened our doors. So we started curbside and then opening for limited service on May 11th. But we can tell from tracking the statistics every year, all of Overdrive and Hoopla and all the digital services were gradually going up, but we can tell we've kept some of those new users. The real trick will be, will they stay using the digital books after all the COVID restrictions have been lifted and they can get out more. So with all these new users, all these new needs and the surprise of everyone wanting to read Bridgerton books, how did you handle that money-wise? A lot of scrambling and a lot of quick conversations. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was also one of the collection development librarians and then the head of our collection services changed in May, and I'm now the head of collection services. So I started out as one of the people trying to figure out how to shift the money, and then I was responsible for shifting the money. So yes, it was a lot of conversations back and forth of, okay, in print, we're only going to start buying the things that we know will go out. We'll quit buying as many discovery titles and things like that. We'll stick to patron requests because they are not going to be able to come in and see these books on display. They're not going to get enticed by the cover art. Instead, let's focus on adding content to the digital platforms and making curated lists and putting the displays there and letting them see the cover art there. So we just really shift our emphasis that way. And then do you do those kind of digital lists or is that something the public service folks who would normally be doing like a physical display, is that something they could do also? So. Here at Naperville, the people who do the digital displays are the collection development librarians, but all the physical displays are the adult and children's services. Meanwhile, adult and children's services were scrambling to provide digital programming, which also drove. And we had quite a few programs on Reader's Advisory where they would refer people back to the digital content and the catalog. Mm -hmm. So we did dovetail those nicely together. But like you said, we had our planned budget at the beginning of 2020, and we just kept shifting it until the actual end budget. We ended up spending 43% more in overdrive than we had planned and 34% more in Hoopla. The other thing we had done in Hoopla is when we started the year out for a long time, we had only allowed five checkouts per user per month. Mm -hmm. As I said earlier, Hoopla has a different business model where every time somebody checks out a book, we get charged a small amount, Right, which means with a large population, it can quickly burn through your budget. And one of the ways you can control that is by how many checkouts do you allow people to have? So we increased that to eight in April, which is part of why we saw that increased usage. 
Plus, Hoopla was kind enough to have what they call bonus borrows. They gave content for free. Oh, thanks, Hoopla. Yes. We increased it to eight checkouts. Originally, we were just going to try to do it while the library was closed. And then we started doing calculations to see if we could sustain it. And we shifted monies around and we are still at eight checkouts per user per month. And that's how we're going to keep trying to go forward. Yeah, I think that would be hard to walk that back. (laughs) Yes. So I think people would have understood if we had only done it while the buildings were closed, but the longer the pandemic goes on and the more people need that digital content. Right. The more you got to have. But I remember when the bonus borrows were out, we had one user who in one month checked out over 100 titles from Hoopla. Whoa. Power user. Huge power users. We got to see just how much people would use it if they were able to. When we were talking before we started recording, you mentioned something interesting about what people were placing holds on, that they were placing holds on books that had already expired or metered out so that you were struggling to find the money to buy new books because people were placing holds on the books they saw, which were the old books. So how did you deal with that? How did you get people to be patient and and look for new things? Sure. So you and I had talked about this before about there's different ways to weed Mm -hmm. in eBooks. And what some libraries do is as soon as the meter expires, they remove it. Yeah. What Naperville does instead is when the meter expires, we leave it. And if a hold gets added to it, we buy it again. So every week we go through and we look for anything that has an expired meter and we rebuy it if it has a hold on it. Now the catch is sometimes the meter will expire and you can't buy it again. Uh So we do have to go through and we have to weed those so that people don't find them, put holds on them, and then get frustrated when they can't buy them. Right. So it's just a different philosophy. Basically, if we've bought it and it's been popular, let's wait and see if somebody wants to buy it again. Now, as we move forward, it may be that, like I said, we've had Overdrive for 10 more years than we've had Hoopla. Hoopla has a great backlist, but people are more used to using Overdrive. Mm -hmm. So we may be buying content that is actually duplicating what's in Hoopla because people are going to Overdrive first. Right. So we are currently trying to discuss whether we need to look at how we are doing those metered titles and maybe the metered titles that are expired, if the title is so many years old, go ahead and remove those before they get holds on them and then wait and see if somebody comes to us. Yeah, except then they do something like make a Bridgerton TV series. and <laughs> Yeah, so weeding just like for print is different very much for fiction versus nonfiction. So in fiction, you have to very much respect the series. And if you're going to have the last Bridgerton novel, you need to have the first Bridgerton novel. It does not matter how old it is. I know I'm old and that's not a problem, but I discovered that one of my favorite books has a 25th anniversary edition. And I swear it is 26 years old. I swear that book is not that old. Wait, what book is it? (laughs) Naked and Death by J.D. Robb. I mean, no, the first book in that series is 26 years old. Part of me is like, I can't believe that's 26 years old. And part of me is like, I can't believe she's written so many books in the series and she only started 26 years ago. Exactly. So, I mean, we, we're, that series is still very popular. We still have the newest books. The newest books are still getting high holds on them. So we are not going to weed that book, that first one, even though it's really old. Meanwhile, when you look at the nonfiction, age very much plays a factor in it. 
Yes. Now, what we found, like I said, we've had overdrive since 2005. Originally, we were when we were building our overdrive collection, we were more mirroring what we bought in print. Mm-hmm. So our nonfiction, there were things that would be outdated quickly. So we had travel books, we had computer books, we had things like that. Those we needed to go through and weed those over time because they're not popular. But the other thing we found is they don't circ as well, especially the books where people need to sit and do something. Right. Like instructional kind of. Right. Because the screen times out or it reduces the battery life to have the screen on all the time. So our overdrive and our ebook nonfiction collection is much more narrative Mm-hmm. and leisure reading. We do see that cookbooks go out, mm-hmm. but it's really mm-hmm. the only area of books about doing things. So crafts don't go out as well. Computer books don't go out as well. So over time, we don't buy as many of those, but that doesn't mean we still need to remember that back in two, you know, the early 2000s, we were buying them. So we need to go find the old ones and delete them and remove them. Right. Whereas the person currently buying them is going, well, I don't buy anything dated. So she may not realize she needs to go back and check what librarians before her were doing. Because it's not as obvious as it is with physical books. Have you found that ebook usage is starting to plateau with things being a little more open? Yeah. So we noticed directly as our door started to open more and we started to have more people, that spike that we saw in April, May, and June started to level back off. It is still at a higher rate than last year, especially, like I said, for the ebooks. And definitely children's ebook usage is still up overall. Yeah. So I'm glad we've reached into that market. Yeah. So even, you know, if and when things go back to normal, it doesn't seem like your usage stats will go back to what they were before because you've gotten new people and old people hooked on ebooks and stuff. So, But do you have any bold predictions, (laughs) if you care to make any, about what you think ebook usage is going to be like in the future in Naperville? So my bold prediction is that normal will never be normal again. Okay, good. (laughs) And there are going to be some people who are now much prefer digital books. Mm -hmm. People like having physical books and like holding physical books, but COVID has made us all a little scared to hold things that other people have held. And I think some of those people, especially if they are more in the more vulnerable health populations are definitely going to stay with more of the eBooks moving forward. So I also think we're going to see just a shift in how people think about interacting with the library Mm -hmm. in the past people, you know, books are definitely our brand, but they tend to always associate libraries with physical books. Yes. And when we closed our door, they realized we were a lot more than that because we were still providing services. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping we can keep that going forward into the future as well. Yeah. All right. So before I let you go, I have to ask what you've been reading and loving lately. No one can escape that question. So the most recent book I finished that I really liked is actually Hood Feminism by Nikki Kendall, who's a Chicagoland author, and it's really good. I recommend it in audio. Like many people in 2020, I was the year of the rereading books. Mm -hmm. And I think I listened to The City We Became by N.K. Jamison three times. Yes. I've never been to New York, but now I feel like I have been. Oh, you totally, totally (laughs) like that. 
No problem. And then on a little lighter side, when everybody started listening to sea shanties, I remembered there's a band I love called Great Big Sea. Yes. And it's lead singer Alan Doyle has written a number of books. He came out with one in the middle of the pandemic called All Together Now, which is basically like he was sitting at a bar and swapping stories with people. So it's a whole bunch of little short humorous stories. Nice. So it's very uplifting and cheerful. Well, those sound wonderful. Well, Karen, thank you so much for opening up the books on your eBooks and sharing what Naperville's been going through and doing. It sounds like, I mean, you know, like I said, your library is always popular. So I'm sure patrons love and appreciate what you've been able to do for them while they're all stuck at home. We try to meet them where they're at and give them what they want. So we'll keep trying to do that as their needs change and as things hopefully returns gradually to somewhat more normal. Yeah. Yes. Knock on wood. Everybody just knock on whatever you find. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, this is Booklist Audio Editor Heather Booth with an embarrassing confession. I once spent a confused Sunday morning trying to figure out who Kim Jong II was. This newspaper article kept referring to the second several times and Though I thought I had a basic grasp of geopolitics, I realized I had never heard of this person or how he related to Kim Jong-il, at which point I stopped, put my reading glasses on, and finally noticed it wasn't I-I at the end of the name, it was I lowercase l. Okay, simple, stupid mistake perhaps, but I'm convinced that I made that mistake not because I wasn't informed, but because I was informed by radio news. I consume almost all of my news by listening and so I'm often surprised by spellings of proper names in the news. When I'm not listening to an audiobook, radio news is almost always on, not because I love it or even want to know what's going on, but because I need to know. Audio is a phenomenally useful delivery method for topics like this, things we need to learn about for our jobs, for the upkeep of our families and relationships or the world around us, even for that book club that your sister-in-law finally convinced you to join, but honestly, you would just rather not. Listening is ideal for multitasking and passive enough that you can go along with your day while you learn, which is part of the reason why every audiobook collection should have a robust and up-to-date variety of books on business and productivity. I also have this theory that talky management businessy types are going to be auditory learners, too, and will be more drawn to audiobooks than a print book anyway, but that's purely conjecture based on a few long-past psychology classes I took in college. We do review popular and engagingly narrated business titles in the pages of Booklist Audio, but we could never review enough to satisfy the avid listeners out there to improve their management style, get the lowdown on savvy investment strategies, or learn from the latest business psychology guru. So, here are five tips in selecting audio for your business section. Number one, look to the stars. Check out the business reviews in the print section and pay special attention to the star reviews. If you'd buy it in print and expect a hold list, buy it on audio as well. Number two, look to the other stars. You know the ones. Those people who show up on the morning talk shows, whose blogs your friends share articles from on Facebook, and who have their own podcasts. Authors with a following will often narrate their own audiobooks, which is exactly what your patrons want in this situation. Number three, think like a talky management businessy type. Come on, librarians, you can do it. Take a gander at the magazines like Inc., The Economist, and other popular media and see which books, blogs, and e-courses are being advertised. Use this not just for titles, but for topics. Is agile still the buzzword of the day? What keywords and terminology do you see repeated? 
check to make sure you have some audiobooks on those topics. Number four, shop the airport. Okay, I know no one is really flying much these days, but business travelers are one of airport bookshop's main clientele. What are they selling, and do you have it on audio? Number five, trust the content. Audiobook narrators, close your ears right now. But this is one section where the narration isn't as important as the content of the book, because people are listening for the content more than for the pure joy and artistry of the delivery. It's okay to take a chance on an audio, even if you haven't seen the audio version reviewed. Is it risky? Oh, maybe. And some of them might not be the best thing ever, but you're buying based on the informational needs of your patrons. You're going to be okay. So what are the high demand business titles on audio in your library? I'm also curious to know what other sections work like the business audio section in your community. What topics are people listening to mainly for information, but maybe not for the auditory enjoyment? Also, have you ever been stumped by the pronunciation of a world leader's name because you'd never seen it in print before? Cringe. Until next time, this is Heather Booth, audio editor at Booklist, signing off to go read the newspaper. Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is Call Number with American Libraries. No, 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 wait. This is an ad for the Call Number with American Libraries podcast. Join me and the Call Number correspondents each month for conversations with authors, librarians, scholars, and more about topics from the library world and beyond. Past guests Sally Field, Bill Nye the Science Guy, Emmanuel Acho, Kwame Alexander, Roxane Gay, Rick Steves, Julia Alvarez, Wes Moore, Margaret Atwood, Ken Burns, Michael Eric Dyson, and many, many more have joined us to talk about everything from books and writing to library architecture and design. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Call Number with American Libraries. Thanks for listening. Hi, Donna. Hi, Susan. <laughs> so what, here, here's the important question that listeners are dying to know. What have you been reading and loving lately? Oh, this has been a very exciting reading season. So I'm just going to jump in with a book that was a surprise to me out of Library of America, hmm. The Man Who Lived Underground by Richard Wright. Yes, Richard Wright. So why are we just seeing The Man Who Lived Underground in the year 2021 when it was written like in the 1940s? Hmm. Because even though Richard Wright was already a tremendous success with Native Son, his publisher rejected this novel because it is so intense. Whoa. And in a lot of ways, now is the time for this book. Intense for Richard Wright. That's saying a lot because his books are intense. Yeah intense. So this went a step beyond. And you can see why. It's about a man named Fred Daniels, who's Black, and he is accosted on his way home from work by three white cops in a squad car. Mm -hmm. And he is framed for a terrible double murder that he knows nothing about. They take him to the station and through a series of intriguing events, he escapes down a manhole into the sewer system. Whoa. And we have ourselves the most amazing underworld quest. I mean, I was just astonished on every page of this book. 
So it's an important recovered masterpiece, I will just say. And that's Library of America, you said? Library of America, due out in April, starred review in March 15, issue of Booklist. I mean, it is just painfully relevant. Yeah. I'll just put it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Scenes that I will never forget. So it's a really important book. I'm going to next turn to something completely different. This is a biographical novel by Michaela Carter. The title is Lenora in the Morning Light. Hmm. This is from Avid Reader, and it's a lovely title. And the Lenora of the title is based on the British-Mexican writer and artist Leonora Carrington. Now, Leonora Carrington has long fascinated me, so I was really excited to see this book. She was a surrealist painter, an incredibly imaginative and provocative writer of short stories and novels. She also wrote a very intense memoir about a breakdown she had during World War II under extraordinarily stressful, horrifying circumstances, as one might imagine. Yes. And this novel focuses on that interlude in her life starting in 1937 when she was 19. She lived a very long life, so more novels could be written about her. But this one is just so well done. I was very impressed with all the characters in it, including the uh, surrealist artist Max Ernst, with whom young Leonora has a torrid affair. Yay! And (laughs) yes, it's really well done. Lots of cameos by other women artists like Leonor Feeney and Lee Miller and Rumidias Varro and takes us to Spain and Mexico, New York. It's totally fascinating. Even if it were entirely made up, it would be great. Oh, and Peggy Guggenheim is in here too. Oh. And, you know, Peggy Guggenheim is quite a remarkable person. Yeah. I mean, what a character and what a collector. The collector, the really revolutionary gallerist, and such a character. And she's a real hero in this novel. Carter really appreciated the finer points of Guggenheim. So it's great. It's great. All right. That sounds intense in a different way from the Richard Wright, but still wonderful. Oh, completely different. And yet, you know, a lot in here about what happens to women, and certainly women in wartime, a lot of this Mm -hmm. novel is about Uh, mental illness and how women are treated and mistreated Mm -hmm. um, under those circumstances. So it's a very, very serious, but also some very beautiful, and it's just a very artistic novel about a deeply artistic individual. Awesome. So I'm thrilled with that. And I also will quickly mention that at the same time, Fulger Press Distributed Art Publishers is bringing out the tarot of Lenora Carrington. These are tarot cards. She was a deeply mystical artist, and she created her own deck of tarot cards, and they are published for the first time in this beautiful volume, and they're fabulous works of art. Wow. Do you have one more book for me? Yes. For us, I should say. I shouldn't. It's not just for me. But it's not just for you. But I like to pretend. <laughs> Let me see. There's so many to choose from. Maybe I'll jump to nonfiction for my last book, and I'm going to talk about Oh, it's so hard to choose two really fantastic environmental. I will allow you to talk about two. How about that? Oh, yes. Aren't I magnanimous? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll begin with the one that will be published first. It's called Rescuing the Planet, Protecting Half the Land to Heal the Earth. Oh. This is by Tony Hiss, a fine, fine writer coming out from Kanaf. Now, a lot of environmental books make me weep to be honest. Yeah. This is one 
that kind of have the opposite effect. And not only on me, but all readers will find this be deeply beautiful tour of some of remaining wilderness places, some Ooh. biodiversity hotspots, beginning with the great, enormous North American boreal forest up north in Canada. Yeah. And many other places. And so what Tony Hiss does is introduce us to a whole bunch of ecologists and scientists and ecosystems and kind of explains why they're valuable, how they are being protected, how we need to protect much more of the biosphere. And he tells us that we are in the decade on ecosystem restoration as declared by the United Nations and that we should all do our part. And one can begin by reading Rescuing the Plant. I, when they when they have solutions or or things that we can do, that always makes me feel so much better. So much better. <laughs> it makes you kind of square your shoulders and feel a little more helpful. And I honestly believe that recommending books like Rescue a Planet help. They help the conversation. They you know help people see how gorgeous and complex and beautiful our planet is, and yeah. we know we love our planet. So it helps us. It helps us. The last book I'll talk about, another nonfiction uh, nature title, does the same thing. This is a book of incredible wonder. It's called Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest by Susan Samard. Hmm. This is a May book, but I reviewed it in an April 15 issue of Booklist. So Samard is a Canadian forest ecologist who figured out that trees and fungi create an underground network and they communicate with each other and they have each other and they keep forests healthy. Huh. Uh, the mother trees are the ancient giant trees that nurture seedlings and it's an interspecies web and it's amazingly sophisticated and sensitive and intelligent. So trees don't just stand there. They are part of a neural network and Samard was the first in her accounts of her fieldwork and the misogyny she had to deal with mm -hmm. and the lumber industry that she had to work with is very exciting and dramatic. She also you know, includes a lot of other things in her personal life. So it's a beautiful mix of science and discovery and, and life and just life and what it is to nurture and what it is, you know, to be a mother in mother nature. It's Oh. Really beautiful, profoundly important book. That sounds wonderful. And that's Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne Samard. It is beautifully written. Her first book. Oh, wow. Hopefully not her last. Well, thank you for tiding us over those few books. I'm sorry that I am not letting you talk about an infinite amount of books, but we'll just um, have to have you back to the podcast again and again and again. Oh, I love that. You know, I so appreciate you allowing me to share my enthusiasm. And that's it for this episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast. Thank you to Karen Toonin of the Naperville Public Library for chatting with me about usage stats and other nerdy stuff, and to Heather Booth and Donna Seaman for sharing their bookish expertise. All of the titles Karen and Heather and Donna and I talked about will be listed in the show notes on booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. While you're here, won't you consider subscribing to Booklist Shelf Care the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts? It would mean the world. Happy reading! Mm -hmm.